Also, this morning, as Sulai mentioned, we had the special treat of James and Rebecca Ikekwe. Did I say that right? Ikekwe. Ekekwe. Ekekwe. Okay. (laughs) So, James, thank you so much for sharing this morning, brother. Man, what a blessing it is to have you worship the Lord with us. And I'm excited, too, to have his wife, Rebecca, come and share the word with us this morning. And what's so cool that some of you in the room may not know, it can come forward, is that Rebecca, years ago, was actually here at Graceway. She was the youth pastor, um, and she led the the youth here for, actually, it was a number of years, wasn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so now she is living, and then she went on the mercy ships, serving in in Africa, and then met James, her awesome husband, and they're there now living in Benin, Africa, and so it's a treat to have you guys share the word of the Lord with us, so let us have it. Amen. I don't need your mic. I think I'm on. I am so blessed to be here this morning, to see the journey that this church has been on, and to see just the heart of this church. Um, a little bit about my husband and I, as Ed mentioned. We are missionaries and been in West Africa. And we are there um, currently working, doing administration in the village. And so we work in a village that's like five hours north of us. And we will go um, and just minister to them and bring them food, bring them clothes and any other donations that we can find from the area that we're in. Um, this is also a place to give you a little background because this is going to come into the message that I'm teaching today. Um, this is a place that the Lord took my husband to over 20 years ago. And so in the process of us being there, I've only been there for six years, but in the process of our time in Benin, we've seen how God has just brought us full circle into this place. So the connections that he had there and the fruits and the seeds that he, the Lord used to plant there, um, we've been able to see now uh, 20 years later and to see the redemption and the restoration and the, just the hearts of the people. Um, we also worked within the prisons in Benin, um, and we also work with the youth. Um, I also am a teacher at an American school there, so that's what we call our tent making, um, so that we're not completely dependent. We are independent missionaries there, because we feel that the Lord has just led us to this place, just because of our connections there. Um, but there's so much that we have learned in this place, and there's so many testimonies that I can give. But in all honesty, I've not being led to give it to you this morning. <laughs> I'm not being led to share some of those things because I feel like we want to hear about God working in the poverty, but then we don't realize that as being a missionary isn't just about the poverty that you are walking into, but the love of Christ that is already there. This is a place that God doesn't need us to be there, but he's placed us there to be relational with the people. Um, And when the call was put out to spread the gospel to all the nations, it didn't necessarily mean that a certain people group would encounter a godless place. It meant that they were on a journey to personally experience the splendor and the steadfast love of our God. And that's what I feel like the journey has been the last six years. And today I'm going to take you a little bit into that journey. Um, But before I do that, I would love to pray um, just for this time and for this morning. Papa God, we call and we tell you, thank you. We say, Lord, that you are such a great God, and you are a God of provision. You are a God that has led us through so many different places. Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts for all that you have in store for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you just open our hearts to a new understanding and a new longing and desire for you, Lord. I pray that this time and this time of sharing just glorifies you, Lord, that it just takes away from, from me, but 
Make me small, Lord, so that you can be big. And Father, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to take you into the book of Joshua. Because I feel like, like I said, um, Benin has been that place where I've learned what Gilgal is. And Gilgal, for them, for Joshua and during that time, was a place that's mentioned 39 times in the Bible. But each time it's mentioned, it's not necessarily one specific place. Because if you ask anybody where Gilgal is on a map, you're not really going to find it. Um, And they're still trying to figure out exactly what it is. So this morning, we're going to go into Joshua, and we're going to go into Joshua 4. So for those of you who have your Bibles, please join me. If not, I'll just read it out loud. Um, So I'll read it and then just kind of share with you some of the things that I've learned through this time. Um, It starts off and it says, And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe. And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan and from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight, God, into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time, come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where they feet, where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and there they are to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded. Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the Ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half of the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed before, over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, and then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks before. Now the people came up to the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And these twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until he had crossed over. That all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the God, your God. Fear the Lord your God forever. Now, this is kind of a longer scripture, 
But I feel like you need this background to be able to go into some of the things that the Lord has placed upon my heart. Um, One of the things that really stands out to me is that question, what do these stones mean to you? Now, every tribe, there was 12 of them, they're all coming from different places, and they all have a different testimony of how awesome God is in their life, of the provision that he has put before them so that they can move forward in communion with him. Every single one could testify and say that my God is good. Even when they doubted God, they could still hold these stones as memory because God commanded them to. But this wasn't the first time that God worked the waters. And I love this illustration because, again, I feel like this comes around circle because when the Lord called Moses to free the people out of bondage, a bondage that they grew so comfortable in that it was, their bondage was comfortable. They became comfortable in the uncomfortable. But then Moses comes, think about what they're saying, you called him God? He's going to save us? And just that journey that they took. And so we look at it, and we see Moses touching the Red Sea. And a lot of us think that it's just this boom moment, like staff in the water, water parts, done. God is great. No, if you look at Exodus 14, it says that the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So it wasn't just God instantly saying, I'm going to do this, it's going to be happen. It's going to happen. It was God showing that his timing is perfect, that it takes time for the Lord. And sometimes he has to set up things way before we even put our feet into the water. And I see that in our time in Benin, because he set up things 20 years before we even set our, but before myself, before I even put my feet on that land. Um, we see this as a time of preparation on both accounts. God preparing the waters, God preparing the hearts of his people before they even set foot in the water. It's a beautiful illustration of God working upstream in anticipation of the needs of his people. In that part of Exodus, there's also a set of commands that are given to his people that I think are reaffirmed in the book of Joshua. And we see it first in Exodus 14, 13. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still. Or in some versions of the Bible, you'll see, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The first command, stand firm. Stand firm in his promises. Stand firm in the things that he has called you to. In the direction that he's leading you to, what you are walking into is not better than what you're leaving. The next the verse, and it's kind of like boom, boom, boom. It's almost like I used to tell the youth that Emerald was walking through a spice thing and just going bam, 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 bam. Um, because it just hits you in those three verses together. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. So the second command, the Lord will fight for you. Exodus 14, 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to move on. Sometimes we get so stuck in one place that we are so afraid to move on. And that's one of the reasons why if we look back, you see that God had to close the waters behind his people so that they wouldn't come back. They wouldn't turn around because he knew the hearts of his people. He knew that they needed to have a blockage of those things of the past so that they can move forward. So now we fast forward 40 years and we find the same people 
with a different leader, Joshua, who by now has experienced a very frustrating journey. And they come to a similar place as the Red Sea. They come to Jordan, and we see this here. They come full circle, and that's what Gilgal means. They come full circle. And they once again find themselves at another impassable body of water. The River Jordan was a little smaller than the Red Sea, but God still revealed evidence of his provision and preparation of the journey. And we'll see that in Joshua in a second. I'll point it out. Because even before chapter 4 happened, there was chapter 3. And in chapter 3 of Joshua, you see the extent of this preparation. So it wasn't just God telling you to do something and then leaving it there. Because Joshua chapter 3, 13 says, And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that came down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So God worked the waters upstream before the people put their feet in the water. <laughs> he prepared. He, he took the time because he knew and he loved, he loves his people so much. That's the preparation the God who sees everything and is so attentive to the detail of everything, he prepares it. He gives it. He's, it's there. But what do we do? I'm going to do it. I'm going to. But it doesn't always work out that way. And, and I feel like just this moment for the Israelites, 40 years in the desert is a long time. It's a long time of stubbornness, and it's a journey that could have gone three days. But Again, 40 years in the desert, they had to learn a little bit more about who God was and how much he loved them. As hard as that journey was, and as much of a struggle that was, God knew it was 40 years. Believe me, I don't think I want to live 40 years in the desert, and honestly, I don't think I want to live 40 years in Benin, um, because it's hot there, guys. (laughs) It's so hot. But um, So then we continue in Joshua in Fort 19, and that's when you kind of see this Gilgal. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? I love how God is also a generational God, that he's not just a God of our forefathers, but he's also a God of the generations, and he's a God that takes care and says, who you are is who I want you to be, not because of who you're, not because of the people behind you, but because of who you are as a person. And I love this image of stones. And I love this image of creating a memorial of all the testimony of what God has done and what he's able to do. Because in those times of darkness, in those times that you feel like, Lord, I cannot do this anymore. He says, remember, remember who I am. Remember that I am a God that loves you so deeply that even the Hebrew had a name that said Al-Rahi, the God who sees, the God who knows every single thing. Every single stone that you've left behind, he knows. And he cares about it that much. And we continue 423. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over all the land your God did with the Red Sea. But you dried up. Again, he's reminding them. Didn't I do this with the Red Sea? Didn't I call you to a land of milk and honey? Come on, guys. Just, Just let me lead you. Just let me guide you to that place. So now we fast forward a little bit into chapter 5, 
of Joshua. And in chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Reproach means shame or the shame of slavery, of bondage, whatever. So in a way, we can think about it of, hey, the Lord is removing anything that you are guilty of, everything that you are holding against you. Maybe some things that you might be holding against another person, or maybe some things that have been done to you that you carry. I have removed the reproach of this from you. And you all have that this that you carry. I have removed the reproach of this. You fill in the blank, whatever that looks like for you. Because I know all of you had one thing that came to mind really quickly. But in this place, I have removed it. Because that's what the cross is. Everything yesterday, everything today, everything tomorrow, anything. Our sins are forgiven. They're done. So what does this all mean for us? What does this all mean for us as a body? Why is this journey so important? For both my husband and I, these last six years I've been in, have been a testimony after testimony of God's provision as he brings us back full circle into Gilgal. My husband has deep roots in Benin and works and work that he was called out to 20 years ago is just now that we are seeing things happen. My first three years in Benin was one of the worst three years of my life, in all honesty, because I felt that God called me to a place and I wasn't seeing any fruit. I was working the ground and I was not seeing any fruit. And I was frustrated because then it became about me. Lord, you sent me here. Why, how are you going to use me? But then when I released that, when I released it to the Lord, he revealed to me that I wasn't there to make everything happen. I was there to come alongside of a plan that he already had, that he was already working on. And sometimes you have to be reminded to stand firm and to be silent. Or even the hardest one, I think, is to move on. To stop crying out to the Lord and just move on. Just go. Because he's going to part the waters. And the, the really awesome thing is it's on dry ground. Those parts where you feel that you're dry and you have nothing left, he makes you cross the water on dry ground. And you can see that the reproach or the shame of, like I said, whatever you filled into that blank it looks different for each of us. I have removed the reproach of Egypt from you. You are no longer bound by that thing. That no longer holds you. It is not your identity. It is not who you are. It is not meant to be carried into where God has promised you. Whatever that is, it's preventing you from moving forward with the Lord. Because we are in Christ and if we are in Christ, Christ is living out of us. There are no walls. There are no boundaries. There are no doors or buildings that keep Christ in one place. The Lord is not in one place. The Lord is the God of the nations. And that's what we've seen in Benin, that it's not just because we are there that God is already there. But it's because God is already there, and he's just calling us to be relational with his people that he loves, with a people that he is poured out love on 
And it might look different for me because of where I'm coming from. But at the same time, it's the same God. It's the same love. Same love that he has for me is the same love that he has for them. And it's been a process for us, and it's been a time where we've really had to learn what it means to be relational, to learn what it means to be with the people and not just so far removed from them. And my time in Benin has forced me into understanding what that looks like. Because I don't live up on a hill in a, in a mansion in a place. I live in a house that the other people live in. <laughs> my, my bathroom is outside. I don't have, I don't have an oven. I wash my, hand, my clothes by hand. So those are the things, and I love it. <laughs> as hard as that is, I, I love it. I love that way that God has broken me, that God has just rearranged and changed everything about me because it's not just because of the place that he called me to. Again, Gilgal isn't just that place, but that space. And, and I think that's what it comes from. Um, the Israelites grew comfortable in the uncomfortable, creating a safety net in a place or situation that was never supposed to be theirs. They found solace in their bondage because they were too afraid of what the Lord had planned for them. They doubted in the dark what God had confirmed in the light. They were judging the validity of God's promises by the circumstances that they saw around them. In turn, they were doubting God's provision as well as the season of his harvest. In both places, God had to physically keep the Israelites from turning backwards. They had to, he had to close the doors for them, which I think is awesome. Imagine the Israelites like, again, God, come on. I thought I was over this. No, you're not. Because you have yet to know that I am the God of promises. I am the God who will keep those promises and not go back on them. Church, I invite you today to camp in Gilgal. And I know that sometimes it could be intense. That's for you, Mike. And sometimes it could be really hard because camping in Gilgal and realizing and building up stones of where God has been can be a really hard place because sometimes we don't want to revisit those places because sometimes a stone means pain or scars that we carry that we've never really approached. But if we still hold them, we still know that God is there, even in our suffering, even in those times that we called out and said, where are you, God? I'm right here. I'm right here in this place because I'm in you. And if I'm in you, I'm everywhere. So I ask you today, and I challenge you, where can you set up a heart stone where you can establish and recognize God's provision and overwhelming love? Look harder, because Gilgal is about remembering who you are in Christ. Brendan Manning once wrote a book called Patched Together, and it's a story of his life. It's a story of how he came to know the Lord. And in this book, there's a quote, and it says, and he's talking to a boy, his name is Juan, and Juan means beloved of God, or John, <clears throat> beloved of God. And it says, go back and live out your name like the beloved of Abba. 
Some may ask you, but others will simply observe the way you live. Some will call you crazy. Some may even try and silence your voice, but some will stop and wonder. Your courage is living in living as Abba's beloved can give others the strength to do the same. For in the end, only one thing remains, Abba's love. And I love that image because he calls us and he says, live out your name. Because whatever your name might be, you are still a child of God. And a child of God is beloved by God. So church, go live out your name as a beloved child of the Lord, as a beloved daughter and king of the most high God. Because that's who you are. Your identity is not from the journey. Your identity does not come from where you've been, but your identity comes from the Lord and God and Christ who is in you. Because he says, my beloved child. In Africa, they have a way of approaching the Lord. And they, they call him Papa God. And they say, Papa God, thank you. I tell you, thank you. I tell you, thank you. And that, that's how he calls us to approach him. Papa God, Abba, Abba means father. Come approach me and build up a memorial of where I have been so that you can move forward. He is a good, good father. And I am so blessed to be his. Church, I'm going to pray. The worship chief is going to come up again. And I'm just going to pray us into that. Father, we just cry out to you and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, you are a God like no other. You just strongly embrace us no matter where we've been. Father, I pray that as we camp in Gilgal for a little bit, that we might remember that you were always there, that you were always providing, that you were always leading, and that you were always guiding us, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you continue to just make our hearts cry out for you so that we might remember what these stones are for. Father, that we might continue to give testimony of the things that you are doing. And we pray, Lord, that as we go from this place, Lord, that you just keep speaking to us, that you keep allowing us to revisit and remember those things of you, that we are yours. We are your beloved child. We are the ones that you have called by name. And we pray, Lord, that you... Just fill this place. In Jesus' name, amen.